Welcome to the Vertical Church Podcast. I'm the lead organizational pastor here, and we are very glad to have you today. And I believe that the Lord has some great things to say to us this morning. I believe that the Lord has some great things to say to us this morning. So let's listen. We're also going to talk about John. Now, we're probably going to talk about John, who is the apostle, the author of the fourth book in the New Testament. We're going to talk about him probably in a different way than you ever heard him talk about before. I'm really looking forward to that because I, as I was preparing this message, learned some really cool things about good old Johnny boy. When it all comes down to it, John was a really close associate of Jesus when he was here on earth. And we're going to talk about love. And I'll tell you why in just a minute. So what are some of the things that we love? Now, those of you who know me at all, any, can anybody say, what do you think, one of, one of the, besides my wife and kids, come on, what's something that I love? Star Wars. Uh, number one on the list. I love Star Wars. If you've ever been in my office, you've seen how much I love Star Wars. I have all kind of little toys and, you know, kids can get lost. Yeah, I, sometimes I have trouble focusing because I play with the little toys on my desk. Yeah. I love Star Wars. I also love ice cream. Now, one of the most difficult things about this fast that we've been doing the last um, three weeks is I haven't had been able to have ice cream. Um, I love ice cream so much that when my daughter went out of town last week, she left a note on top of the ice cream in the freezer and said, Daddy, don't move the ice cream. If it's moved or this note is moved when I come back home, I'm going to tell Mom. <laughs> Leave it to my 10-year-old to hold me accountable to my ice cream. I love ice cream. But here's the thing. Let's say one night I'm sitting at home and I'm thinking, man, I could really use some chocolate ice cream. That's my favorite, chocolate ice cream. I could really use some chocolate ice cream. I'm going to run across the street to Farm Fresh and I'm going to grab some chocolate ice cream. And I get over there and I discover, okay, something has happened. Every cow but three in the world has died and there's just so much milk and they only make just so much ice cream. And so now ice cream costs $500 a half gallon. I don't love ice cream that much. Do you? No. Well, maybe. No, we don't. Now, that gives us a little bit of perspective about what love actually is. See, I love my wife and kids. You mess with Kelly or Belle, Ashton or Lexi, and we're going to have a problem. If one of my kids is lost, I'm going to bankrupt myself. I'm not going to rest, I'm not going to sleep, and I'm not going to let anybody else do it either until we find them that they're safe. Because I love my kids. There's no price too high for them. I do whatever I can to protect them. See, here's the thing. Love, real love, is determined by what we're willing to seek out and what we're willing to sacrifice for. Period. That's what love is. Love always requires sacrifice. To understand this, all we need to do is look at the well-known story of the Daniel and the lion's den. Now, I'm sure most of you have heard this. It's one of the most popular stories from Scripture. Even if you haven't been in church your whole life, you've probably heard something about Daniel and the lion's den. Long story short, some really smart guys got together and decided that only people could only bow down and worship the king. And so they could only pray to the king. Nobody, they weren't permitted to pray to anyone else. Well, Daniel... He was, a, he was a good guy, you know, he's a good all-around guy. And he prayed three times a day, every day. 
So he went home after work. Now, remember, Daniel was a kind of a high-ranking official in the government. He was pretty popular. They knew who he was. He went home and he prayed, opened his window and prayed. And so these people that were jealous of him had him arrested. And the punishment for this was being thrown in the lion's den. So in goes Daniel. Well, guess what? He came out unscathed. We know this already. See, I wonder in that moment if Daniel really doubted God's love. He made a choice. He chose in that moment to put his faith in how much God loved him rather than a crisis that was all around him. I think staring at the faces of a whole bunch of lions that haven't been fed all day just so that they will eat you up might be a little bit intimidating. But this is what Daniel said when he came out the next morning. This is from Daniel chapter 6, verse 22. My God sent his angel to shut the lion's mouth so that they would not hurt me, for I have been found innocent in his sight. Daniel was in a tough spot. He had a choice to make. He knew that his choice to worship God would cost him a lot. He knew he was going to have to seek it out and sacrifice for it. But he loved God. He also knew this truth, and this is a big one. God has never brought anyone to any situation that was greater than his love for them. Now notice I didn't say that God loves you enough to not let you go through hard times. I didn't say that. Anybody who's lived more than three days understands this especially if you have small children. God doesn't put us in any kind of situation that is bigger than his love for us. Not Daniel. Not Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Chaplain Grace and Pastor Josh talked about them the last few weeks. Not anyone in the Bible. And not us. It doesn't matter what we're facing right now. No situation we're going through is bigger than God's love for us. I wonder if Daniel felt felt loved in that moment. I mean, hey, I chose to worship God. He's letting me get thrown in the lion's den. What? But I imagine as the night went on, he started to realize, okay, these guys aren't going to touch me. And you know, they can't touch me because God's power and his love is greater than the strength of their jaws. God is bigger than our lions. This all sounds great, doesn't it? That sounds awesome. We can all, you know, we get thrown in a pit... On Tuesday, when you get thrown in that lion's den, you're going to, yeah, we don't do lion's dens anymore, right? It's easier said than done. After all, we know that there are always obstacles that keep us from accepting God's love. It's not about whether or not God loves us. It's about whether or not we can accept it. One, one reason some of us have a hard time believing God loves us is because of our past, past sins. Say, Pastor Brian, my past is too messy. I've done too, you don't know what I've done. I've done too much, too many wrong things. There's no way God could love me after that. Or, or maybe I used to follow Jesus, but then I wavered in my faith and I kind of walked away from him and I did some really stinky things, Pastor Brian. You, you don't understand. There's no way he could love me after that. I don't love me after that. There's no way he could love me after that. I mean, I turned my back on it. How could he love me? Another reason we wrestle with believing that God loves is because of our performance. 
You say, Pastor Brian, there are a lot of people that, better, that are better than I am. I do dumb things all the time. I make really, really bad choices. I, I, don't, I, I, don't act, I don't act well enough. I only mess things up. There's no way God can perform me. I don't do enough good things. Or we might doubt that God loves us because of our present circumstances. I am so overwhelmed. You can't tell me God loves me. I wouldn't be this overwhelmed. There's no way. If God can shut the mouths of those lions, then he can take care of whatever this is that's overwhelming in this moment. Things are just too bad right now. How could he possibly love me? My life is a mess. Well, this is where we turn our attention to John. Now, as I said earlier, John was one of the disciples of Jesus, and he had a really interesting nickname. And I'm going to tell you a little bit about the book of John in just a minute. But, you know, typically when you get a nickname, it's usually given to you by your parents when you're growing up, when you're really little, or by some mean kid at school that calls you Skippy or something. I did that on purpose. Where is he? <laughs> but in the three Gospels that are, that are um, before John, there's no mention of John's nickname. But there's a whole bunch of times in the book of John that he talks about John being the one who Jesus loved. The disciple Jesus loved. That's kind of weird. He gave himself that nickname. Now, who gives themselves a nickname, much less who gives themselves a nickname? Yeah, I'm the one Jesus loved. You can just call me Brian, the one that Jesus loves. That's kind of a long nickname. Now, stay with me because I'm going to give you some background on where all this came from. And in order to appreciate what we're talking about, we're going to need to understand this. You see, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, these are the first three books of the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, and Luke were all apostles as well. And they wrote their accounts of Jesus, the life of Jesus, and all that kind of stuff. They wrote their books somewhere in the AD 50 to AD 65. Um, 50 to 65 AD. John, however, was written around 90 AD. So quite a number of years later, probably later in John's life, is when um, it was written. So it's, prob- it's probable that John not only wrote it later, but he had an opportunity to read what Matthew, Mark, and Luke had said about them. The good, the bad, and the downright ugly. But then John went ahead and wrote his own account of what happened with Jesus. And in that account, he called himself John the Beloved. John, the one who Jesus loved. Why would he do that? It's a great mystery. But this is what I think. I think that when John was saying that about himself, he wasn't bragging on himself. He was bragging on Jesus. Let that sink in for a minute. I'm the one that Jesus loves. I've done some really stinky things. But Jesus loves me. This is how I identify myself. Because I walked with Jesus. I've been through all of this with Jesus. I made all of these mistakes. And Jesus still loves me. That gives it a different perspective. That, that self-given nickname isn't quite so ridiculous anymore. You see, John knew that Jesus' love for him wasn't based on his own goodness. It was based on Jesus' goodness. And the same is true for us. How much God loves us isn't based on how good we are, on how whether or not we got through the day today um, not losing our temper with our kids or not cussing out our boss or... I'll stop there. 
Jesus' love isn't based on that. His love is based on how good he is, not how good we are. We'll talk about that more later. See, John was a fisherman, and that day, there weren't many professions that were messier or smellier. You ever been to a fish market? They kind of stink. Well, they didn't have the controls then that we have now. There was no ice. And so they just kind of smelled all the time. It was messy. But you see, according to the religious leaders of the day, they kind of controlled everything. And so they said that only a few people were allowed to go on in school far enough to become a religious leader. Everybody else pretty much had no choice but to pick up on what their fathers did. So John's father was a fisherman. So he and his brother James were fishermen. That's what they do. So when Jesus meets John, he finds James and John doing what? They're fishing. So how in the world does someone go from being a random fisherman on the, on the shores of Galilee, not knowing anything about Jesus, to eventually writing a gospel that gets included in the canon of Scripture for the rest of eternity to read? How does that happen? One day at a time. He walked with Jesus every day. He followed him every day, one step at a time and to the best of his ability. Was he perfect? Nope. We'll talk about that in a minute. But you see, in the middle of John's messiness, that's where Jesus found him. Jesus found him on the shore of Galilee fishing. In the middle of his messiness, Jesus said, hey man, I want you to be on my team. Come on, let's go. Because Jesus isn't looking for perfect people. After all, there aren't any. I don't care what your spouse says. Or your kids. Jesus is simply looking for willing people. Willing people. John wasn't perfect. John had issues. And still Jesus looked at him and said, come on, let's go. John knew that God loved him, not because he had some amazing religious performance, but because Jesus relentlessly, and you'll see as you read the Gospel of John, Jesus came after John and all the other disciples Jesus pursued him. John's life looked like a mess. I bet you can relate to that, huh? I know I can. Sometimes we feel too messy to be religious. We see all these good, perfect Christians on TV or all of these people that we see on Sunday morning and they seem to have it all together and their kids all behave perfectly and, and, and they are all dressed well and they, everything's perfect in their lives, Right? Isn't that our measuring stick? After all, religion says, clean up your mess. That's what religion says. If you're going to come in here, you need to clean up your mess. That's not what Jesus says. Jesus says, come on, I'll clean up your mess. I'll clean up your mess. It's not our work that makes the difference in our relationship with Jesus. It's his work. It's not what we do, it's what he did. Here's another great example. Now, when Jesus was being tortured and killed, most of his disciples ran away. You couldn't find them anywhere because if they had been caught, they probably would have been tortured and killed as well. So they headed for the hills. They completely abandoned Jesus. But not John. John stuck around. Now, did he stand up and say, hey, I'm with Jesus? No, he didn't do that. But he did stick around. He saw the whole thing, play by play. Now, in John chapter 20, we read that Jesus rose from the dead and appeared to the disciples. This is later on. 
he told them he was going to send them into the world to declare the message that Jesus is alive and that there is hope. That's a great message. Who wouldn't want to jump on that bandwagon? But the disciples were skeptical. You see, they knew what they had done. They had abandoned Jesus. They had walked away. They were scared. They didn't want to go through what Jesus went through, so they headed for the hills. And so they weren't really sure where Jesus was all of, with with all of this. They, they knew where they would be, so they assumed that Jesus would be the same way. But Jesus didn't give up. Again, he pursued them. In John 21, verses 1 through 3, we read that Jesus appeared to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel, James, and John, the sons of Zebedee, John, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter said. And they all said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat. But that night, they caught nothing. Quick question. What was John doing when Jesus found him? He was fishing. But something interesting happened when the disciples went back to what they were doing before Jesus found them. The scripture says clearly that they went out and got in the boat, but that night they caught nothing. See, we usually walk away from Jesus because we fall for the lie. And it's a lie, let's be honest, that he's going to hold out on us because we aren't good enough. We don't live up to his expectations, so he's going to hold out on us. But the fact is, we can only experience joy by seeking our own satisfaction, by not seeking our own satisfaction, but seeking his presence. The Bible says that when the disciples went back, to what they used to do, they got nothing out of it. They went back to their old ways and they got nothing out of it. They were left with empty nets. Without Jesus, we catch nothing, a whole bunch of nothing. The world can only provide us with false hope and temporary satisfaction. But true joy comes when we actively participate with who Jesus is. And wherever you are, whatever you're doing, and however long you've been doing it, it's not too late. Now, before we can understand the significance of all this, um, we, we got to look back at what Jesus said the night before he was crucified. We just took communion a few minutes ago. And in my prayer, I talked about what happened before the night Jesus died when he was sharing communion with his guys. John 15, 13 to 15 says, Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends. This is Jesus talking to, to the disciples. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant doesn't know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. Jesus called them his friends. Now remember, Jesus is not just a man. He's also God. And he's calling these bunch of slubs his friends. But he used that word on purpose. And he didn't just use it once. He used it three times in that one passage. He knew they were going to run for the hills when times got tough. He knew that ahead of time. He predicted it. But he still called them their friends. All right, let's go back to John chapter 21, verses 4 to 5. This is Jesus on the shore of Galilee. So early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. Now, they've been walking with him, and they should recognize his voice, but they didn't even recognize his face. He called out to them. He said, friends, 
You got, haven't you any fish? Did you catch that? After they abandoned him, after they headed for the hills, after they forgot that they knew him, he still called them friends. We read on later in that passage about how Jesus gave them instructions on how to fish. He told them to take their nets to the other side, and as soon as they did that, their nets were filled with fish so much that their nets were breaking. Now, some have said that the miracle in that chapter is how Jesus helped them catch the fish. And that may be true. But I think just as big of a miracle in that passage is that John recognized that Jesus sought out his disciples after sacrificing for them. Jesus made the difference. Not just in the fish in the net, but in the lives of those guys who were going to change the world. Jesus made the difference. And even though they had changed their minds in a moment of weakness and fear and uncertainty, Jesus never changed his mind. Now, if you've never had a relationship with Jesus, there's something you need to know. It's pretty simple. He sacrificed for you. He sacrificed his life for you. He sought you out. If you're currently not as close to Jesus as you want to be or as you used to be, I hope you understand that he's trying to bring you back into relationship with him. He's trying to take you to that place. After all, he sacrificed his life for you too. He has sought you out. These verses from the book of Romans offer us a striking picture of how much God loves us. This is one of my favorite passages in all of scripture. I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today or our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or the earth below, indeed nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. John was the disciple that Jesus loved. But as we've said, that says a lot more about Jesus than it does about John. Because John was the former messy fisherman. John was the guy who kept bragging about himself. John was the guy, yeah, get this. John was the guy that once thought it was a really good idea to wipe out an entire village because they didn't do what he wanted. Yeah, that was John. John was the guy who was so obsessed with himself that he couldn't even hear Jesus telling him that he was going to sacrifice his life on his behalf. John was the guy who ran straight back to what he used to do before he met Jesus. And yet Jesus loved John. And Jesus loves us too. It's important that we don't allow the religious world to tell us that God's love is something we earn. We can never earn it We can never deserve it. He gives it to us freely. It's called grace. The pressure associated with the lie of our earning it cripples us. It cripples us. 
We can never live in the fulfillment of who Jesus is in our lives when we think that it's all about us, that we can somehow do one more right thing and Jesus is gonna love us enough. God's love is something we receive and nothing can take it away from us. Nothing can take it away from us. No bad decision, no person who treated you badly or abused you or hurt you. Nothing can take it away from you. It's yours. Remember what we talked about at the beginning of the message about love? Love is determined by what we're willing to seek out and what we're willing to sacrifice for. Jesus loves us enough that he's already done both of those for us. As always, Jesus is our perfect example. If you don't mind, stand with me real quick. Around here, we talk a lot about next steps. So what's our next step? How do we respond to this love of Jesus? We love. That's how we respond. We love. We love through the disappointments. We love despite the betrayals. We love in excitement. We love in calm. We love even when we're overwhelmed. We love. Okay, Pastor Brian, I get it. We love. How do we love in these kinds of situations? These people have hurt me. They don't deserve my love. When we walk with Jesus, we don't become perfect. We don't stop struggling. We don't suddenly have it all together. At least I don't. You may be stronger than me. What we do have is the power of the Holy Spirit. And that makes all the difference. You see, the Holy Spirit gets to work in the sacrifice that Jesus made to empower us, not only to receive the love that Jesus gives us, but also to love those who don't deserve love from us. Let that sink in for a minute. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead speaks life into us. When we were dead, that power brought us back to life spiritually. The same power that enabled Jesus to love us lives in us so that we can love others. The power to seek out and sacrifice for love if we're willing to do what Jesus did. It's all because of Jesus. We've got to recognize that the grave could not contain the power of His name. That name of Jesus. He's the mighty Savior. Lifted high. King forever. Jesus Christ, crowned in glory, raised to life. That same power lives in you. That same power lives in me. Thank you so much for joining us today. We always appreciate hearing how God is moving in your life. We all have a story to tell, and we'd love to hear yours. Please visit verticalchurch.tv and click on the little pencil icon called Amen Corner to tell us your story. Also, if you'd like to support the ministry of Vertical Church financially, you can do so by clicking the giving link at verticalchurch.tv. Thank you again for taking the time to join us as we point those far from God to life in Jesus.